0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Walls podcast. My name is Sarah Huffman, and I get to be joined here today with Joe Howard, and we have the incredible honor and privilege of serving here at Arise Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota where we strive to love God, serve people, and lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ.
1: Beyond the Walls podcast is just an opportunity for us to go a little deeper in the conversations we weren't able to on a Sunday morning, some of the rabbit trails I left out, while enjoying good conversation and a cup of coffee.
0: Always. Woo! Always have some coffee. Yes. Man, I can't help but notice over the last couple weeks, so just starting this new series that we're in called The Unexpected Christmas, we're talking about some genealogy stuff, And we're realizing all these people that we didn't know were related to Jesus are related to Jesus, which is super cool. So I thought, man, have you ever realized that you were related to a relative that you didn't know?
1: No, but I think like there's some funny jokes that probably have started with or maybe some odd dating circumstances that have happened over history. We're like, oh, we're cousins. But I I don't think I've ever run into someone and was like, oh, you're family or Mm. anything like that.
0: Well, that's because you're from a bigger city, right?
1: Yes, I'm. Uh, well, yeah, a suburb of uh, the Twin Cities in, in okay. southern Minnesota, and you're mm-hmm. from you're from up there in the north part of Minnesota. Yeah, a
0: little bit of the small, smaller town vibe up yeah. there. Yeah, so um, it
1: probably happens a little more.
0: Yeah, yep. There's definitely a lot of like the family reunions where you get together and you see like six people. You're like, I, I've seen you around. I didn't know that we were related. Yeah. And stuff that actually even happened here at church. We had a a young couple that came in and started getting to know them. And it was like after a couple months that we realized, oh, we're related.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. And you are distantly, distantly, distantly related to one of our good friends, Janie. Yeah. Who's in Rochester, Minnesota, serving at a church.
0: Life Bridge Church. Check her out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're good friends. And uh, we found out randomly that we're both related through Daniel Boone. So that's way back we didn't dive into it too much but yeah, that was kind of that's cool. pretty cool so yeah some genealogies can be kind of fun they can be yeah. and they
1: can be messy very really messy. messy yeah yeah i've never i've never i guess charted too far back just i guess in fear of who i'd stumble into or see mm, yeah so yeah. I, I haven't i haven't gone back the genealogy sure. route for my family but um it's been incredibly eye-opening and life-changing just realizing how broken and messy and distorted the genealogy of Jesus is, though. Mm-hmm. It's been so much fun learning through this and growing and then realizing that their stories are the story of Matthew, the writer of the gospel. That's his story, who's ultimately it's all of our stories. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason for the story. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's been so cool, eye-opening. And it's brought this life, a breath of fresh air into not only this Christmas season, but I think my life in general, just the lessons I've been learning just in the past couple weeks of going down this. So it's been an amazing ride.
0: Yeah, it's kind of cool. And for it to be a Christmas series, the stories that you've been talking about (laughs) are not necessarily your typical Christmas stories, but they are so related to it. It's so cool. So this week you had the opportunity to share about the story of Judah and Tamar yes, um, and how that connected to Joseph. So I don't know if you'd be able to give us a little rundown of what you talked about.
1: Yeah, a brief rundown is the gospel account through the book of Matthew. Matthew was primarily writing to Jewish people of his time to try to convince that Jesus was the Messiah. So he answered a couple of questions off the bat, that he was related to Abraham and that he was a descendant of David. And so while going through that, he listed off, just broke down the genealogy, like I got it right here, you know, started off with Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And this would have been the first moment of contention for the readers because through the genealogy, what typically happens, it's by the firstborn and from the males, and this Judah was not the firstborn. He was the male. And then it goes on to say, and his brothers, and um, a lot of people kn- don't know Judah's story, but they know Joseph's story, the younger brother, Joseph, and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and we kind of walk through the parallels of their life. We didn't spend a lot of time on Joseph because, thanks to Donny Osmond, we all basically know the premise of Joseph's story, but Judah has a small little footnote in the story of Joseph to basically parallel the life, and it's kind of detestable. It's gross, and Jesus is... Judah's descendant and not Joseph's descendant. So we told the story of, because Judah was was the father of Perez. So uh, through that line, we explained how Perez came into the story and Judah eventually moved to a small town and Judah got married to his wife. They had three kids and Tamar married Judah's oldest boy. He died. She remarried his middle child, he died. And so there's this moment of Judah was now responsible for Tamar and his youngest son wasn't old enough to be married. So he sent her off. And for a couple of reasons I didn't get into on Sunday, one, he had a fear that his son would die. And so he'd be stuck with her. So he was kind of hoping as he sent her away that he'd stay with her dad and he'd be responsible for, and he'd kind of forget it. So there was this whole complexity beyond just my son's not ready to be married. He was, it was a self-preservation thing as well. So very selfishly, like it was his responsibility to take care of her, he sent her back and to play the role of the widow. And so there was certain outfits that they wore, certain way they act. And so she went and did that for years, living with her dad as Judah essentially forgot about her and didn't care about her. And Scripture doesn't say how long it was, but it was long enough that the youngest son was of age and could have been married. And Judah didn't follow through with his promises and she went to spy on him because she heard he was in town. At that moment, Judah assumed because she was hiding her face that she was a prostitute. She proposition- He propositioned her. They worked out a wager and a deal. It was a goat, which just surprised me that that was the going rate back then. And Ultimately, he didn't have the goat, and so she wanted a promissory note, which was his ring, which had his marking on it, which is a symbol of his household, that he was the head of the household. Anything that needed to be signed, documented, that symbol signified his house. And then his staff, which was a symbol of his authority and power within his family. So he gave that up to her as collateral. Then they did the deed and still not noticing that it was his daughter-in-law. And then they depart The whole story, basically, she's not there. She shows back up three months later, and Judah hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant. She played the role of the harlot, and he becomes super righteous and demands that she's burned alive immediately. And we talked a little bit about on how... That's almost like human nature on how people react when they have a hidden sin in their life. They become super righteous against other people who are sinning and stumbling. And he does that, and she brings out the, hey, I have these, this is your kid. And so once the, it became real that like he was responsible, he was a father, he was the person that impregnated his daughter-in-law, he retracted, and he went before and said, you are more righteous than I. I, I didn't follow through with my promises. And this is like, the only reason he came forward is because he was guilty. There's nowhere he could have hid, and he didn't repent before that. He didn't do anything. But then that's on top of the hidden sin of what he did to his younger brother. You know, just the story of him betraying his brother, throwing him a well, selling him as a slave, lying to his dad for, I mean, this time it's 30, 40 years that your son was murdered and we couldn't do anything about it. And for years and years and years and years and years, they, they all lied to their dad about what happened. And. He planned on taking that to the grave and God had other plans and the famine came through the land and Judah then came face to face with Joseph, who is now the prime minister of Egypt and a beautiful story of redemption and forgiveness in the face of someone who unquestionably did not deserve it. He didn't come before his face, you know. Forgive me, Joseph, for what I did. He sat there and he knew he had judgment. I think he would would have just taken it Mm -hmm. knowing that's what he deserved. I mean, that's how he treated Tamar.
0: Yeah. It's like when he's confronted with it and he knows he has nowhere else to go.
1: Yeah. And so you see this beautiful display of forgiveness and... Even even the perspective that Joseph had at that time of like, I think what you intended for evil, God intended to be good. I, I Because of what you did, I'm able to save many. And he became this picture of this savior that he not only did he was able to save his families, but ultimately he saved generations of people because he saved the Egyptians, he saved his family. I mean, the whole basically world at that time was able to go on because of how he planned and worked with Pharaoh and all these different things so what they intended for evil God intended for good to preserve life and we see that this parallels our story with God no matter if we were for coming off the stage of the platform of we deserve like we're self righteous because we go to church every Sunday we pay our dues we serve at this or I pray this you know all these different things where we approach God with or don't approach God with like I can't do that because I'm not that holy. I'm not that good, and then, so we use that to keep God away. It really displays that that free gift of grace and love and forgiveness that that only Jesus can offer. It's when we come to that throne and not even if we come to the and not at the point of like we're repenting, but we're face to face with our consequences. And if we allow that, not off our merit, but by truly by Christ alone, that's our story and it's it's beautiful it's hard because I think we all face that. I think one, we've all hurt people intentionally, unintentionally and we all have that. we all have hidden sin, we all have hidden motives you know everything that Judah's life may not be like mirrored exactly what he did, but all those tendencies and traits, that's us and through a child who shouldn't have been born, that's who our Savior came from, from Perez, from a very (laughs) non-Christmassy story of a man propositioning a prostitute. And, And God could have chosen to have the genealogy come through the model of a Savior in that family, the person who exhibited grace, love, and forgiveness. But instead, God chose the person who needed that to have Jesus come from that. And that's for lack of a better term, the whole sermon that I just preached on Sunday, but that is kind of a, a nutshell mm-hmm. of what we did. But it, it's a very, I mean, there's times, there's there's stuff in that, if you read it in Genesis 38, there's things I just wouldn't read in church. I mean, it's kind of a very detailed, crude reasoning on, on things, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is gross, and this is this is in the story. But it's also, in reality, if we break it down, there's so many gross things in our life, and that's part of the story, and that's the point of the story. It's just, that's why Jesus came. Despite ourselves, despite the gross, despite the things we were in church, despite the things we don't share in church, that's why Jesus came.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a crazy story. And there's so much that, and even as you were talking about it yesterday and today, like there's so much of the story that I forget mm-hmm. about Judah and Tamar. And then piecing together that that was happening at the same time as the story of Joseph yeah. is something so easy to forget and yep. just to separate. And so it was like a really good reminder of like, no, this was happening midway through this other really big problem in his family's life. So yeah, it's just kind of that illustration of how, and I think so many of us would relate to this, that once we make one bad decision and we live in that, how much easier it is to then fall into the next one
1: oh, and the yeah. next yep. and
0: the next and the next and how those decisions can almost create this slippery slope. Yeah of almost changing our identity of I'm a liar, I'm a murderer, I'm a I'm a traitor and you know then you start to live up to that identity and you almost just see that bitterness in Judah. Oh yeah. of just in the way that he handled I mean we see so much in Judah's story from being one of 12, 12 brothers. I mean you got to kind of feel lost in the shuffle on that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that to lose two sons and then the fear of losing the third And then to have that whole situation with, you know, selling your brother into slavery. Oh, yeah. And then having to face his parents, face his brothers. And there's just this shared darkness between all of them of we got to keep this lie up.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think within that, you made a very, very good point. Like the progression of sin. And I've used this illustration before. You're short a couple bucks on to buy something. you're like, your first instinct's like, I'm going to go rob a bank. You know, your first instinct isn't that huge sin that has huge consequences. It's, you know, you're walking past the counter and there's a buck on the counter. You don't know whose it is. And you're like, hmm, I'll just take that. It, and it's that like the smaller things that creep in that make us basically immune to the next thing or unaware of it, or basically to test the waters to see how repentant we're going to be. And if, you know, you think about Judah, who was the fourth brother in line, and, you know, he already knew just how the family dynamic was is that Reuben would get everything and and they'd pile down but then on top of that you know when number 11 came when Joseph came and he became the favorite and he got more than what he did and he already knew he was getting less of what Reuben did this this heart of animosity and bitterness and jealousy started and when it wasn't in check when he had the opportunity to act out he did and you you can even see because When the main deception of Joseph happened, it was Judah that took the charge. And it was Judah, the one that said, well, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. So he was naturally a a leader within his family. So like so many God-given talents and abilities that he didn't utilize to bring honor and glory to God and utilize it for his family. Instead, he... We don't know how it goes, whether he bullied his younger brothers into to doing this, talking Reuben into going along with this, and then holding that lie within all of them for 40-some years. That, I mean, you go from that bitterness when he was a kid to acting out when he was older to that continued steamroller or that ball rolling down the hill where it just picks up speed, that mm-hmm. snowball effect, you know. Sin unchecked, man, it quickly quickly goes downhill and it starts Mm -hmm. small. I guess there are some things where people like knee-jerk reaction, like I need a buck. Oh, let's rob a bank. But I think more likely that
0: progression, like you said,
1: I would argue there's something in their life that got them to that point already. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no unchecked, unrepented sin grows fast Mm -hmm. because when the enemy, when Satan has opportunity to play on the playground, man, he's going to invite all the friends and it's going to get messy quick.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't get to see, I mean, potentially how that story could have played out different if, I mean, clearly, obviously, if they hadn't sold off Joseph, things would have been really different. Yeah. But even just their family dynamics, we don't get to see into that, but how those could have changed if they had been honest about it. And that's just stuff that we don't know, but we can know that he lived with that guilt. And I think so many of us can relate to that feeling of guilt Mm. and our desire to hold on to it rather than to face that confession. And we get into those moments like Judah where we're just pinned in a corner of that truth is staring us down and there's nothing we can do to deny it. And that's not even like a confession. That's just like a...
1: Back against the wall. That's your
0: Yeah. (laughs) You have nowhere else to go. Um, And that's where we see him pinned each time. We don't see him ever voluntarily share trust that other people might respond in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's just a challenge to us of if there's stuff that we're living with of what's it going to take to get us to resolve that. Are we going to be the people like Judah that are going to live with it for 40 years? Or are we going to face it up front, mm-hmm. be honest with it and seek God's forgiveness because he's already paid for it. Yeah, It's already done, yep. but it is scary. It's hard to trust that that can be forgiven because I mean, we even see this really interesting comparison between how he handles the situation with Tamar versus how Joseph handles the situation with Judah. So we have the story of Tamar. She was partly in the wrong, even though, I mean, others treating her poorly is what led her to make those decisions. We see Judah, who had the power to forgive, chose that as an opportunity to clear up his problems And just take her out and say, you know, how dare you Mm -hmm. be such a gross person that you've gone against our family, like you betrayed me, you betrayed my youngest son, all this stuff. So he did not show any form of grace or forgiveness, whereas Joseph had every right to be upset, Mm -hmm. to hold them accountable for what they did for selling him off. But he chose grace and forgiveness and not because they confessed, but just on his own character. That he chose that. So I think that's kind of a cool illustration of that self-righteousness and that unwillingness to forgive. We kind of see two options. So it's like, okay, how how am I going to live? Am I going to extend grace or am I going to extend condemnation?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's why God allowed Judah's story to go the way it was. So that way he was in the role of the judge and he could have, I mean, basically his heart was tested on how he would respond. And so when it came to the part where he was in front of Joseph and he would have thought like, I know what I would do. Mm -hmm. And he just accepted it and basically didn't repent, but like whatever he thought, you know, it was a good run or like I should have done things differently. Or maybe he was even like, Oh man, why did I live my life this way? It doesn't say, but all we do know is that he didn't beg, he didn't grovel. He didn't ask for forgiveness because he knew what he deserved. And if he were the one casting judgment, he would have died right then and there. And, for him to then accept that grace and forgiveness when he already condemned himself, I think is such, I mean, going back, we said this already, that's our story. Mm-hmm. It's like, that is what we all deserve every moment of every day. And like, even if you don't believe in God, there is somewhat of this moral code. People know the right and wrong. People know if they're good or bad. There's no question on that. And where that comes from, if you're not a believer, then that's up for debate. But we as followers of Christ know, right? And so when you put yourself in that judgment seat, people can honestly say whether they're good or bad. And since he had that opportunity to be in that seat of judgment, knowing what he deserved, knowing what punishment he should have gotten, and to have to accept that grace and forgiveness, because he wasn't really putting an option of like, hey, you can take this or you die. He was like, I forgive you. Your transgressions against me are wiped away. Go get dad and the family and come back and live. And he had to accept that. And there is some changes that obviously happened from that moment on, because we don't hear from Judah again until Jacob blesses his sons as he's dying. And and Jacob has this beautiful prophetic statement that from your offspring will rise up a king that your brothers and his descendants will bow down. And So there was some change in his heart from there. We don't know. He could have kept being a jerk, but like had a heart change. We don't know. But the point is, is that from someone who was unworthy and the unlikely candidate that God allowed his genealogy to be brought down to Jesus because Jesus not only came for sinners, he came from sinners. And that is the entire point of what we're learning to be a very, very messy Christmas story.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think I just love it so much because it illustrates this idea that no matter how much we like to, and we'll talk about this probably more next week, the idea of labels, but how often we label ourselves or we get stuck in the character of who we used to be and believe that that has to be who we'll always be. Um, And just, we like to be our own fortune tellers where we predict the rest of our life. We predict the rest of what God is ever going to be able to do in and through us. Whereas God says, you have no editorial abilities on your story. <laughs> I get to write this, not you. Yeah. And he offers that if you'll allow it, I can make something really, really beautiful out of this. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of cases where I mean you do see people that are unwilling to make that change, that they choose to continue in that lifestyle to just kind of turn away from God or to not accept what he's extended or offered, but God will still use them, Mm -hmm. you know, or can still use them um, regardless of how they choose to live or not. And it's really cool to see that illustrated through the story that regardless of the story that Judah was writing for himself, that at the end of the day, God used it. You know, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I'm at least getting out of this uh, series is just never putting God in a box. Yeah. Of he is going to turn this around for however he desires and what he wills it to be, which I think is so, so cool. And just how often he does choose the messiest, weirdest, craziest stories to then share his light through that. Yeah. So, kind of going back to some of the story, to some different parts that we weren't able to really dig into on Sunday, but we kind of see this theme of promise keeping in the story of Judah, where. Specifically, he promised Tamar that he would take care of her and that because his son was too young at the time, that when his youngest son became old enough to be married, he would call her back and that his family would continue to care for her and welcome her in. But we see him not follow through on that promise that he tends to ignore it and um, not face that, whether that's out of fear, control, or just selfishness. We don't really... Probably all of it. All of it, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. But then through, I mean, obviously the entire story of the Bible, we see God follow through on all of his promises, on the promise that he gave Abraham and then on to Jacob and then through Judah, as you said, he was prophesied to have Jesus born from his line. We see that God is always a promise keeper. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of that duality between the two, seeing when promises are kept and when they're not. Yeah. So I thought maybe it'd be an interesting question of how have you been affected within your own life of promises kept or not kept?
1: Oh, geez. Yeah, probably very. I mean, nothing really stands out like on, on certain people that didn't follow through on promises that like were like landmark life-changing. I know there have been some. Um, I had some friendships that kind of went south because they did what they said they wouldn't do type stuff, but nothing crazy. But it is something that, you know, That does unfortunately happen a lot. I think every person would be able to make a list on whether how much it affected them or not. You know, if we put that part aside, but we made a list of two columns of promises that were not fulfilled to me and promises I didn't fulfill, I'm sure we could all fill pages worth because, unfortunately, due to self preservation, selfishness, fear, regret, all the things, it's so easy to not follow through with a promise. And I think, I mean, you even touched on that. I think that's why it's so incredible that you look at scripture and you can't find a promise that God said that he didn't follow through with Mm -hmm. for generations upon generations upon generations from the beginning of our story, entering to God's story, all promises, he said, have been fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. if there's anything that has not been done, it's because it just hasn't happened yet. It's not that it wasn't fulfilled. It's just prophecies are not fulfilled yet. And so every promise of God has come true. And so... When you put up our fears, our selfishness, our desires against God's, it just shows how amazing and loving and grace-filled, compassionate, kind. Page, I mean, all of the amazing attributes that God is. And you look at our list, and it's like, Ugh, mm-hmm. I am a detestable person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But so, yeah, I, I think going back to the original question, not nothing too landmarkish. That you know, like, it's like oh, that changed me forever type mm-hmm. thing. But I'm sure each one had an influence that directed me that either created a block for my wall of protection against Mm -hmm. myself or you know so i'm sure it it, all of them played a role but to what extent i'm not sure i guess so how about to throw that one back at you
0: yeah i'd say i'm probably in a similar boat like you said of the columns of promises not kept to me and promises i haven't kept other people oh yeah (laughs) it's it's longer than i even want to imagine right but, yeah, I guess that I just kind of the idea of it has always been really fascinating to me because that was a big thing that my parents, I think, drilled into us as kids for so long was let your yes mean yes and your no mm-hmm. mean no. Say what you mean and mean what you say. An attribute of God that I've always just been fascinated by is this concept that none of his words return void. Right. That anything he says is that he's not careless with his words, he's not reckless with them, that he's very intentional with his speech. So that's just a cool part of the story that I've come to really appreciate is just how God does fulfill his promises and that he's very intentional with his words and he calls his people to be very careful about the promises that they do make that we follow through on what we say we will. So I think that's just like another challenge or another lesson from the story that we could Mm -hmm. all just embrace a little more and just having that mindfulness over what we say and what we promise to people. And just not forgetting those promises.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If each person just followed through with their promises, right? I think it'd change a lot of things.
0: Absolutely. So another question that I wanted to throw your way um, regarding the story is obviously, like we talked a lot about Judah's kind of habit of hiding and running and avoiding mm-hmm. and being very secretive about the things that he regrets or the things he feels guilty about, the things that he's done in his life. So what are some ways that we can not fall into that trap like Judah did?
1: I mean, I think there's so many warning signs that happen. And, you know, it somewhat kind of depends on on where you are in your faith and walk with God, because, you know, if, if you don't have the convictions, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you somewhat live by a different moral code and there's other there's a whole bunch of dynamics that come into it. But one thing that transcends no matter where you are in your walk with God, a non believer or a believer, is we weren't created for shame. Like God did not intend that for us. And, you know, one of the things right before the fall, scripture says they were walking in the garden, they were naked and they had no shame. And once sin entered the world, then shame came and God doesn't desire that for us. And we get guilty conscious as we feel convicted because those are those are moments when we, in essence, feel shame. And it's kind of our built-in warning system. Okay, like, hey, something's going on. Our heart's not aligned we need to check this. And unfortunately, people almost put on that that garment of shame and, and start identifying as their shame and what they're guilty of. And the hardest thing, but but truly the best thing is to acknowledge where you're at and find somebody to walk with you in that. Like say, hey, I am struggling with this. Obviously, number one thing is like, hey, God, here's where I'm at. I need your help. But if you are able to Say, hey, I am. I'm, I'm struggling here, but most importantly, like realize you're struggling there. But that's not who you are. What whatever your sin is, whatever is what you're entangled in, that's not your identity. That's not who God made you to be. And when you continue to shroud yourself in that and cover yourself in that, that you're, you're hiding who God created you to be. So, first is is truly learn your identity in Christ. Because, I mean, even those who have been believers and followers and some of the most amazing people that I know that I learn from and grow from struggle at time to time. And if they are not true and honest with whose they are, they can fall into who they think they are, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. like constantly acknowledging that I am a a sinner, I'm a broken and a messy and I need Christ because I make these decisions. And from there, you put up guardrails. Mm Mm-hmm. Of like, okay, this is where I screwed up. This is where I continue to screw up. I I mean, the easiest one is like the illustration of like, man, I struggle with alcohol. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to go to the bars. Mm-hmm. Like even just to hang out with people because I know I struggle with alcohol. You can hang out with people otherwise. So you start setting up these guardrails in your life of whatever it is that you continue to fall in. But you are not that whatever it is for you. And so when you identify that and realize that you are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, you are a child of God, and you quit trying to wear that shroud or label or wardrobe of whatever that sin is, and we call it for what it is, that helps, but that's hard. Mm -hmm. Because that comes with honesty, that comes with vulnerability, Mm -hmm. that comes with being a part of a community that will walk with you. And the genealogy of Jesus shows that God will take you as you are. Nowhere in any of these stories, even as Matthew is telling this story, he and, and Jesus went up to him and said, follow me. He didn't tell him to go and stop collecting taxes and then come back and follow me because you're not quite worthy yet. He didn't tell Judah to go back and fix everything with Tamar. He didn't go back and say, go tell dad you're sorry first. He just said, here and now you are forgiven. And Judah had to walk in that. And when we walk in that forgiveness and grace and the identity of who God created us to be, that's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. It's not the ending point because we continue. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day process Mm because maybe all of you are better than me, which is very likely, but I have to do that moment-by-moment every single day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I like a lot of what you touched on. It reminded me of... Something that Celebrate Recovery does Mm. really well in terms of, if any of you guys are familiar with, there's like a small group structure of people get this opportunity to kind of introduce themselves and then share something that they're struggling with. And then this kind of the small group navigates that. But how they have each person introduce themselves is not with their name. Yeah, It's you introduce yourself as I'm a believer in Christ. I struggle with these things. And my name is... Sarah or something, you know, and they're very intentional with that because our identity is not what we struggle with. Our identity is that we are a child of Christ Mm -hmm. and our name comes after that. So I was just like really moved by that idea. And I think that's very similar that we see in a lot of God's character is that we, he doesn't want us to be defined by what we struggle with. He doesn't want us to be defined by our mistakes. He says many, many times he will forget our sins. Like he forgives them and then he doesn't just keep holding them over our head. He forgets them. Um, So it's, I think we're harder on ourselves so much more of the time of, but I did this and that's not okay. Right. And this is what I do and that's not okay. And he says, I know, I already know that. But at the same time, say what you need to say, confess what you need to confess, seek that forgiveness and then move on. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because I I, I love the, The scripture in Romans where it talks about even though we're still sinners, even though we're still in our muck, even though we still make the decisions we do, even though he knows we will keep making some of them, God still sent Jesus to die for us. Mm -hmm. And then he rose again, conquering sin and death. So we don't have to sit in what we put ourselves in. And it's such an overwhelming, beautiful display of love, grace, and forgiveness that none of us deserve mm-hmm. none of us earned and none of us can get there on our own Yep. yeah
0: and i think that's why we're just so passionate about like i feel like every sunday what do you say
1: oh that's kind of our mantra yeah that god loves you exactly where you're at but he loves you too much to leave you there and that's i mean that's why we exist that's why god sent jesus because like you guys aren't doing it you guys can't do it and here is my display of love mm-hmm. now accept it and do something with it mm-hmm. yeah that's good
0: yeah, I feel like maybe we could leave our listeners with a little bit of a challenge this week.
1: Ooh, I like challenges.
0: Of if there is anything that is holding you down, any regret or shame or guilt or anything that you maybe need to just get off your chest so that you can confront it head first before it confronts you. Maybe find that person, um, have that conversation with God to just openly work through that. And then uh, maybe... Let us know how that went. Yeah,
1: I I, I mean, I think it's very important. I I love that challenge for you to step into who God created you to be, whether it's just knowing whose you are, maybe it's just getting more into the word or praying Mm -hmm. or reaching out and asking for forgiveness or turning away from a sin or an action. Because just Mm -hmm. through this genealogy and the things that we've been learning in over the past couple weeks and will continue up until Christmas is, I mean, The people like Judah, the people like Tamar, the people like Rahab, all the people in his genealogy, people like you and the people like me, we have been invited into God's story because we are the point of the story. Mm -hmm. And when we can do that, when we can get out of our way and we can live in that incredible truth, we can help be a part of the story of light penetrating the darkness.
0: Yeah, and so we are just crazy excited to hear how these challenges go for you guys. So if you want, you can reach out to us at podcast at sd.org and let us know how that went. Uh, we're crazy excited to hear about oh, it.
1: I'd, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. And, and if anything comes up this week between you and I, I'd, we'll share we'll that share as well. We'll share that next week. For Absolutely. sure.
0: Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. We're excited to chat at you again next week where we're diving into the story of Rahab. So with that, hope you guys have a lovely week. We'll talk to you later. Toodles.